Hello and welcome to U2BR, the Huddersfield Town podcast from Examiner Live. I'm Stephen Chicken and I'm joined today by Opta's David Hartrick. Hello, David. Hello, mate. How are you? Yes, I'm very well. How are you, I ask, as though we've not just spent the last five minutes talking before we started recording. Don't tell them how the sausage is made, Stephen. (laughs) I'm always showing people my sausage. And also on the line... Ollie Fisher, how's it going, Ollie Fisher of the Cowshed Loyal and Team Talk Media? It's going well, mate. It's going well. Um, yeah, sausage analogies aside, uh, it's a pleasure to pleasure to be on this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to some intense debate, no doubt. And I've had my outrage stocked up now for a few days, so I'm ready to let rip. Okay, well, shall we let you do that then? Because we've been chatting in our WhatsApp group about town's transfer business. Obviously, today has been, as we're recording this on Thursday evening, has been transfer deadline day. And there were, there were three bits of business, two main ones. Aaron Moy has gone to Brighton, but not quite as straightforwardly as we expected. He has signed a new three to four year deal with Huddersfield Town and gone on loan to Brighton for the next year. And uh, in his stead has come Trevor Chalaber from Chelsea. He's come in on a season long loan and presumably in that case is ready to slot straight into the the team as a number six. We believe he has also signed a new deal at Chelsea prior to his loan move to town. So I'll start with... Who should I start with here? This is quite exciting. I'll start with you, Ollie, then. (laughs) I can almost feel your your pent-up emotion waiting to burst off onto the podcast. So talk me through your feelings on town's transfer window. Uh, just before I start, just a disclaimer that my views are not the official views of the Cowshed Loyal, uh, nor of, of Team Talk or anybody like that, um, which is always good to get that out of the way. Um, how do I feel overall about Town's window? I think it's been a really strange one, to be honest with you. Um, it became very clear from the start that we weren't going to go out and splash uh, splash tons of money, uh, You know, spend all our parachute payments building a squad that's going to get us competing right up at the top end of the championship again. I think on paper, going into the start of the summer, you could perhaps made an argument that our squad was ready-made to challenge at the top end of the championship anyway. And it was just about rediscovering that confidence and about getting players, you know, moving in the right directions again, getting a few wins together, etc. Um, and then, you know, we've had the we've had the stuff from Phil Hodgkinson about how you know, there was eight signings that were close and three of them were Prem loans that were going to have the same level of impact as Moy. Well, as far as I'm concerned, we haven't had any of that. Um, and I don't think Chalaber is that either, to be honest. I don't think he's one that was planned. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the, the signings that we made, obviously, and Benz has arrived on a permanent for a questionable fee, in my opinion. I think we should have tried to... I know it was built into the loan deal, but I think we could have honestly tried to negotiate to get that down a little bit, because we've not seen enough from him to, to warrant 11 million quid, in my opinion. Um, and then we got two frees who've come in, in Reese Brown and Tommy Elphick. I liked Elphick um, on, on the face of things. I think he's a, a good... It sounds really cliche, but a good, experienced pro who can come in and, and, and certainly slot in wherever wherever and whenever needed, depending on how, how Sievert sees fit, really. Um, Howler aside, on Monday night, I've been impressed with what I've seen from him pre, in pre-season. I think he's shown good leadership skills, and hopefully you know he can, he can basically take that forward and, and be quite an important asset for us moving forward this season. 
Then Reese Brown comes in from Forest Green, and I've really liked what I've seen of Reese Brown so far. You know, in in preseason, I think he's looked like a dynamic player who can either play. Um, I think he could possibly play out wide, but I think we're going to play him more as an attacking midfielder within the three. So uh, happy to see how he develops. And then we've got Karoma, who can play as like a winger or a striker, really. Um, not seen too much of him, to be honest, but um, seen, again, a little bit of him in pre-season and looks looks quick and looks good with his feet and that kind of thing. So we'll see how that goes. Grabara's here. Um, he'll be our starting keeper for the season. You've got to you've got to hope, basically. Um don't place him with any fault for that goal on Monday night, to be honest, and uh, thought he had a solid game apart from that, and he looked good at Doncaster um, in his in his pre-season debut, so we'll see how it goes with him. Um, then obviously, you know, we know the guys that have left. Tommy Smith's a weird one for me. I probably wouldn't have let him go, to be honest with you, because I massively preferred him to Hadajinai. I think he's actually probably better both going forward and defending, and we've seen him tear the championship apart in that season that we went up so um a bit of a strange one but four million quid is four million quid and billing's gone i think he wanted um, to leave as well to be fair smith from what i understand he, he wanted he to leave yeah i mean i understand that he's been with us for a while um and sometimes players do just want a change of scenery and he's been a good servant to the club and nobody can really begrudge him that i just feel like a lot of people were expecting it to be celtic which you can kind of understand because they may be playing champions league football next season they were never in from him for what hodgkinson's said never in for him no well, he was i know i know their um name was in the frame quite a lot throughout the summer which is great for our traffic because anytime we put celtic in anything it flies yeah. but yeah yeah he they, they apparently that that interest from from scotland was never genuine yeah, I noticed they did actually sign a, a new right back um, a week ago or something like that. So that kind of put an end to all that. And obviously he's gone to Stoke. So um, I wish him well at Stoke. Like I say, none, no town fan can really begrudge him the chance to go and try a new challenge. Yeah, he's been here a while and he's he's been a very good servant to the club. So fair play to him for that. Then Billing uh, went in what seemed to be the most drawn out saga of the summer. He was very clear that he wasn't in our plans. Um and we got a good fee for him, in my opinion. But I think he'll go to Bournemouth and flourish. I think there's a player in there somewhere. It, it just needs the right environment and the right conditions to get it out of him. And I think Eddie Howe will... will I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Billing starting for Bournemouth by the second half of the season. If not, you know, if he impresses from what he's seen, what he's seen, of, uh, seen of him in training so far, that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one goes. And then and then a bunch of other, uh, what you would call, Deadwood perhaps left, uh, Jack Payne... Not Lossell, obviously he he was he was very influential for us during our time in the Premier League. But he went to Everton. De Poitier went back to Belgium. Derm, who always wanted to leave and go back to Germany, from what I gather, he got a decent move to Frankfurt. Uh, and then the one that's happened today, Moy's um, oh, gone to Brighton. Now that seemed to gather quite a lot of steam last night, and thought there's no way that we're going to leave it this late. There's no way we're going to allow our most influential player in that promotion season to leave on a loan deal. Uh, to a team in the Premier League when he's only got a year left on his deal. In the end, it turns out he signed a three-year, three-year deal, um, and it's a season-long loan deal. So I don't have any problem since we're probably going to dive into this Moy thing now. I don't have any problems um, with the actual way that the deal has been has been coordinated and structured. I actually think that it makes sense for both parties because. You know, we now aren't going to lose him on a free next summer when when he's out of contract. Uh, Brighton get him for a year. He's clearly told Town that he wants to go back to playing Premier League football, which is understandable. Um, and then you know, so Brighton can can if he impresses, can buy him out next year. Um, 
If not, then he comes back to us and we've still got him under ownership for two years so we can choose to do whatever we want with him. The problem that I have with it is the timing, really. You know, we've allowed him to, to play a game uh, Monday night against Derby, perhaps when there was no interest in him at all. But I just don't buy into this narrative that, that Moy went to to Seaver or to Hodgkinson, whoever it may be, last night and said, look, I want to go to Brighton. I just don't, I just don't see that as a realistic scenario. Um and then for everything to develop the way that it has today, people not knowing really what was going on given his contract situation. And then it turns out that his replacement uh, is, is Trevor Chalobah. Um I'm happy because we've got a player called Trevor. That's quite cool, um, just as a trivial point. Uh, but he's just not a like-for-like replacement at all. You know, uh, Steve has made it clear that he's going to play as an eight. He calls him an eight. He's basically a holding midfielder. So what does that mean for the team moving forward? Does that mean we're pushing Bakuna or Hogg further up the pitch? Or I, I just don't understand. The squad now, for me, feels more unbalanced than when we started the summer window. And and that, for me, is perhaps a massive, a massive warning sign. But yeah, rant over for now. <laughs> Dave, do you have any thoughts on all of that? Um, there's one or two things I sort of disagree with, but on the whole, you know, I agree with most of what you said. I think Karoma is a more exciting signing than a lot of people are giving him credit for, and I think the club have been briefing that he's going to be cover striker-wise, and, you know, him and Brown are two players that a lot of big clubs were watching with interest, so I think they're they're good signings. I think the the two loan signings, Shalabar is solid but it's not spectacular it doesn't you know as a fan it wouldn't make me fizzy to sign him you know he's not that sort of player um goalkeeper fine you know no problem i still look at the squad now uh, and wonder how much they thought to keep danny williams because i think he definitely improves this squad straight away if he was still at the club um, but the, the the thing about the Moy thing is that Brighton and Hove Albion have been after him for quite a long time, you know, before the start of last season. And it all goes back to the, the 3-1 game at the Galfram when he was absolutely brilliant against Brighton. And he's always been on the radar. Brighton have always been interested. I'm a bit the other way. I don't think that we've suddenly, I say we, because I may as well let the cat out of the bag, I am actually a Brighton fan. <gasps> um, I cannot believe from the bits and bobs I know and my very, very limited knowledge, I can't believe we suddenly put an offer in out of the blue yesterday that has all gone through today. I think we've been sniffing around for an awful lot longer than that so I think the timing you're right the timing to leave it to today is quite odd um and there I is a factor I've been made aware of Dave sorry before we go on with this which mm. is I understand that Aaron Moy has recently as in the last couple of weeks changed agents right. and his old agent was always no we're not going to talk about a new deal and his new guy is the one that's uh, coordinated, well, not coordinated necessarily, but he's been involved in the new deal that he's signed prior to going on loan. So I wonder yeah. if that was a factor. I actually think the way the deal's structured, Town have actually come out of it all right because there will be a release fee in there. 
So if Brighton want to buy him, if he has a good season, you see the problem is, uh, you know, and I'm not saying this to to wind Town fans up or anything like that, but he is going at first. He's going to Brighton as cover. He's not going to be go straight into the first team. So he he's got to take his chances when he gets it, and he's got to, you know, if if he wanted to stay at Brighton, if he wants to stay in, you know, if if Brighton stay up this year. And he wants to stay at the club. He's got to force his way into the first team and stay there. It's not. It's not a given. So I think Town have done all right because I'm sure there's a fee in there agreed, so that if we do want him, we get, you know, we pay a fair amount for him next summer. I'm sure we'll be picking up, if not all of his wages, certainly the bulk of them. There was a loan fee paid, I believe, Steve, um, for the season. And Town have got him on a contract, which, I mean, if he saw it through to its logical conclusion, he'd be 34 by the time it ends. So Town would still get another couple of years out of him. But it it feels at the moment like the last time you're going to see him in a Town shirt, doesn't it? It does feel like this contract has been to secure a future fee. And I think, you know, in the circumstances, that's, that's, it's quite, smart business from town really I, I suspect that's probably the best result you could have got from this situation but I think you're right I don't think there is a natural replacement in that squad for him I think there's lots of options to try um, but there's nobody who really stands out as it's alright if we lose Moy because we've got so and so step in there So and that is I can see that being I can see that being an issue Um the other thing is that I, as I'm, I'm sort of analysing town all the time, and I think there are several reasons to be cheerful going forward, but there are also problems and obstacles to overcome. The problem with Moy going and in the fashion he's gone, it gives the fans a very easy thing to uh, grumble about and, and a stick to beat the club with. Looking on Twitter today, the replies to Town's tweet about Moy going are just... Hilarious. Well, yeah, hilarious, but there are also a good third of them which are just going way too far. You know, for Sean, I know Sean Jarvis is sort of the face of Huddersfield Town on social media, but for him to have to come out and give a sort of quite a telling statement... Um, going over the Moy deal, but then also saying, uh, you know, Hodgkinson has got the club running through his veins and we need to support him now more than ever. It, it's I, I think people need to just calm down a little bit. You know, I think there's been some, some massive overreaction. There is an issue in that squad now with a Moy replacement, but I tell you what, I, I honestly think between the three of us, we could go through every squad in that championship and find a hole somewhere. For yeah. every team, so you know, there's obstacles to overcome, but there's there's ninety minutes of the season gone. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, I think there has been a massive sort of sensationalist reaction. I feel like there's a an overwhelming sense of paranoia among fans at the club at the moment because we've gone from the very safe, warm hands of Dean Hoyle to kind of a wild card in Phil Hodgkinson, given 
the way that you know Southport fans have spoken about his tenure there and stuff like that and the the transfer business perhaps those who are naive would expect us to come down and spend 30 40 million and get a squad that's equipped to go straight back up but the reality is it doesn't always work that way and we're readjusting back to probably a more natural level for us but yeah i i, I just think that the it, it you're right it gives people something to point at and it just doesn't help it do, it doesn't help anything um, no. and perhaps there's there's also a factor yes you could go go through every squad and, and point at an obvious hole i think with town there's potentially three or four obvious holes and and that's that's part of the problem is that surely we've had all summer to address for example in my opinion we've needed a new right back for a while um i don't think hadajinai is up to it in terms of his positioning uh, his awareness etc and i don't think going forward he's as, as great as people say he is either to be honest i think you know we've not really sorted out the congolo thing um whether to play him at left back or center back in my opinion it should be Schindler and congolo as the center half pairing so then we need a left back is bockhorn the guy yes but he, he's going to need time to adjust i think we're now a central a creative midfielder short whether he'll move pritchard back into that role you know we'll see but again it feels like a round peg in a square hole i think we're probably a quality winger short someone who's a genuine goal threat um and yeah, who knows? We're probably a backup striker shot as well because we we yet to see really if Munier's head's going to be in it uh, once he comes back into the fold. So it's just it's just worrying times, and I feel like a result like Monday night and and a deadline day like we've had today certainly doesn't do anything to make the fans feel a little bit more optimistic. It it doesn't, but I the flip side to that is that you had to get rid of certain players who were causing problems. You had to manage the Wayne's bill. I mean, there's nine first-team players that have have gone out. That, uh, for any club, would be a huge squad turnover. You're not going to get nine out and get nine back in of a quality to just come in and replace them. So it's going to take, you know, arguably three transfer windows to get the squad back where, you know, it feels... Something I've talked about on other podcasts is that the best squads, the sort of talent gap between the very top player and the very worst player in that squad, the whole point of trying to be balanced is is trying to make sure that it's as small as possible. And at the moment, there is a pretty wild variance in your squad, let's be honest. But it's, it's been a difficult transfer window. And I think the whole Hodgkinson Hoyle... Uh, change. I don't think that has helped it in the slightest. You know, I think that's that we we all knew the change was coming at the end of the season, but then it didn't get ratified straight away. And I believe there was a little bit of you know Hoyle's been helping out, almost working as sort of a sporting director, I think, to help out. And it, it's been a tough summer. It's not been an easy summer. And I think the fans. I I spoke on a podcast last week and said, you know, one of the key mantras is going to have to be patience and unfortunately again it's just another situation where town fans just need to be a little bit patient we haven't always shown the ability to be patient either Hmm. that's part of the problem i understand it because you know it's a set of fans that have ultimately seen uh, well one win in the last however many games 20 odd games now is it um so i understand because it's a results driven business um we clearly gave up last season fairly early on and I think the, the general consensus then 
very much, but for a different manner, uh, for a different reason, like Wagner's first season at the club, his first half season that he had was all about preparing for the next season, was all about assessing the squad, looking at who needs to stay, who needs to go, and then building a squad that over the summer that's you know, worthy of challenging the, the following season. And I feel like with us giving up when I say giving up in the, well, I don't actually mean it in a respectful way at all. We completely gave up last season. Um, and it was all about, again, just assessing who wants to be here, who doesn't, who can we look at to bring in, who's realistic, that's going to, that's going to, you know, bolster the ranks and, and get us, get us winning games again, basically. Um, so we've had that period of preparation now. And again, I'm not saying that our transfer window has been an absolute disaster by any means. Um, and you're right, the you know the hands of those in power have been forced to a large extent by those players who have literally told Sievert that they don't want to play for him anymore. Um, so we've we've offloaded quite a lot off the way. I just uh, I just don't think it helps when when Hodgkinson came out and said what he did in that Q and A where he's. He's he's boasting, saying that you know oh, we've got yeah, eight signings basically that, close to coming in. Hundred percent agree. It's just agree. it's it's just far too bullish. You know, three Premier League loans that are going to have the same impact as Moy. Well, I like I said, I don't see one. I don't see one there. So it's an instant red mark against uh, his his tenure, and it's very very early on. Um, and like I say, it's just a feeling of paranoia. It's a feeling that. Not everything is being done with the the club's best interests at heart and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And I think Saturday, to say it's the second game of the season, and obviously I return to the second fight. Saturday actually has now a monumental importance as to as to where public opinion is going to go. If we go to QPR and put put on a good performance, win you know by a couple of goals. I just feel like that there might be a little swing in the pendulum. People might be a bit more optimistic, but if we go there and lose, then you know the angry the angry mob is going to be bigger than it's been for for a very long time. Um, and that's just the nature of not just town fans, but it seems to be mostly town fans. It's the nature of football fans. They are reactionary. This is this is the way it is. It's cutthroat cutthroat business but um, we just need to see things moving in the right direction at this point because ultimately yes we're fans but majority are paying customers as well um, yeah. so yeah it just just needs needs something to cheer us up a little bit at the moment that's it I think part as you mentioned Dave earlier the the part of the problem is that the the signings are ones that don't exactly make you fizzy and mm. Karoma and Reese Brown have the potential to do that but uh, as Jim said on the podcast before Jim Chisholm part of the issue is that town have been signing players with potential for years and sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't and I think when you're when you've been in the doldrums for as long as town have now I don't know the the idea of asking fans to defer their gratification even further is quite a big ask and it might be the the best thing for the long-term interest of the club but I do think it's understandable that that the fans are, are getting upset that they're being asked to be more patient when they've already had a year in the a year in the Premier League that was a write off, and they've had six months before the summer even started to start putting their plans together for the Championship. The other, th- I mean, it's worth saying on that that running a football club is really hard. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's this harder than the, a lot of people give it credit for. This is the problem. It's not that I disagree, but that six months head start in looking forward to the Championship was almost swallowed by Dean Hoyle's illness and when he came back he was you know 
it, it, he certainly wasn't working at, I don't even know if he's working at full speed now. There was a lot in terms of trying to find a buyer for the club and Dean managing to find somebody who he believed was a fan and who was the right person, etc. And time goes, you know, these things don't happen overnight. These things take weeks and months. And the problem is that the, the head start that Town should have had, I don't actually feel they ever had um, because mm-hmm. of circumstances around them. Now, I'm not... I, I don't want to be seen to just be sort of be making excuses all the time for people at the club, but it it's it was a fairly unique set of circumstances in the way that Wagner went, in the way that Rebbe went, Dean Hoyle's illness, having to sell the club, Dean working at the club over this summer because, you know, in his own words, it was a very important transfer window. It's been a really difficult time. What I said on last week's podcast... <laughs> is still, we can talk about players and situations and circumstances. What I said still rings true. Town's entire season comes down to how quickly they get that win. Whether it's a scrappy 1-0 or they batter someone 4-0, they have to get a win because if if we pick apart the derby game, there there was actually quite a lot that was good in there. The problem is that there is a mentality problem at the moment in that you've got players there who are playing within themselves because they're scared. They're, they're scared of another loss, another yeah. one on the list. And this, these things aren't, aren't, you know, they're not, you can sort form out with hard work on the training ground, but mentality issues are completely different. So I've, it's a very difficult time at the moment and it just, the fans just want to see town win that's all mm-hmm. it comes down to just win just beat I, someone i remember um towards the obviously the back end of last season when things had not exactly started brilliantly under siva and we'd gone such a long time without winning a game and uh, we beat wolves one nil at home with a with a scrappy scrappy last minute winner and i just remember looking around and an, an, an absolute outpouring of emotion for a game that meant literally nothing in in the scheme of our season, you know we were still basically that basically got us to the to the derby total I believe um, in terms of lowest points or whatever. But it was just the feeling of seeing Town score a goal and win a game again, and that meant so much. And this is what I mean about how important Saturday's game against QPR becomes now because if if we go there and like I say put in a good performance, you know show show shoots of recovery. Um, Things can change, you know. Optimism, mm-hmm. optimism breeds optimism, and um, we've got a start to the season that, it, you know, it's not it's not ridiculously challenging. There's no easy games in the championship by any stretch. Don't get me wrong, but um, th- there are games in there that we we will we should be looking to target for three points. Uh, simple as that. And you know, just get that first win over the line, and then get the players believing in their own ability it's just a small small steps uh, to getting back there but as you as you quite rightly point out it feels like the biggest step is just that final whistle going and we've got three points under our belt yeah. that'll be massive one of the differences that when you're on a run like you're on you get dear carby who in the first half blew past two derby defenders knocked it past another absolutely blew them away pace wise got to the edge of the box and then tried to play a stupid ball to the left and it just got cut out straight away. When you've got a club 
that are winning and the pressure's off and the mentality's better, Diakabi blows past those defenders and just takes the shot on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it goes in or not, the crowd's off their feet and it just lifts everywhere. And that's the problem with town at the moment is that it's... It, it, Jim talked about the Galfram groan, didn't he? It's too easy to groan at the moment. That's the problem. And it, yeah. it needs... It just needs the ball to go in off someone's ass for a one nil. That's that's <laughs> literally what it needs. <laughs> like Heffley at Villa. Yeah, yeah, we need we do, we need a moment like that, definitely. And and just it could suddenly be overnight things just change, things look better, you know. Yeah, that's it, one hundred percent. It so it could come Saturday. We don't we really we really don't know at the moment. Um there's a few games sort of coming up that are that are real litmus tests for where where we are, where this squad is, that kind of thing and uh it's all confidence. I mean, I remember um, last pre-season, um, so before the 2018-19 season, I went out to Austria and we played Bologna and um, Red Bull Leipzig down there um, a few days apart in friendlies. Uh, we beat Bologna 2-1 with a last-minute winner and we, we played really, really well in that game. Um, and then we beat Leipzig, who had, I believe, a Europa League qualifier or something, um, that same night, but because they were already five nil up, they decided to send an academy team for that and brought their first team to play us. So they had Werner and Poulsen up front. Upa Makano played. Um, it was quite quite a good team for them. And Town beat them three nil. And Diakabi ran them absolutely ragged. Phil Billing, at, you know, he bossed the game. Pritchard was was incredible. It and it it just felt like that's what the potential. I know it's pre season. You can't wear too much into pre season, but that's what the the potential is there for these players once they're feeling confident and once they they start perhaps making sharper decisions and stuff like that. There is a squad there. We just need to extract that at the moment. Um, I wonder how much of that, because he's absolutely not immune from criticism regardless of the circumstances that he's been dealt, but I wonder how much Seaver has honestly damaged their confidence um, towards the end of last season, particularly with sort of telling them to... At, at first, certainly, go hell for leather and let's try bring back some free-flowing attacking football. Realise we were getting opened up at the other end every time and then we started to look a lot more resourceful towards the end of the season and actually got a couple of decent results against United and Southampton. I just I just wonder, I wonder what's gone on in, in this pre-season. Uh, obviously, he's got a clear style that he wants to use in the 4-3-3, but I almost feel like at, at half-time against Derby, he got them in and said, we can't play like that again in the second half because they're going to they're gonna pick us apart again. Um, and I was actually impressed with Derby on, on Monday night. Uh, I I said before the game to everyone, I thought we were going to lose it because it's just not an easy an easy game to readjust back to, to the Championship because they've been there for a few, well, quite a few years now. And um, are always there or thereabouts in the top half, top six. You know they're an experienced championship side with with a new coach, granted, but um, the the quality core of their squad is is still there. Um, and yeah, I was impressed with them on Monday night. But we'll see. I'm guessing some stern words were had. Um, he's got his squad it was clear set that now. Super wasn't happy with the first half. Yeah. Yeah. What I think what would have been really disappointing for him, just to go into the Derby game a little bit, is that there was a pretty. I said this to Steve and in the press room after there was a pretty solid hour in that game, ruined by a real like four out of ten first half an hour, because up until winning the penalty, Town were pretty wretched, and it was it was noticeable how many players still had the Premier League mindset, and what I mean by that is. 
you had midfielders who, when they lost the ball or they saw the ball was gone, they were expecting midfielders to immediately turn, play the ball back to their defenders or their fullbacks to retain possession and build in the Premier League way. So what actually happened was the ball went back and really simple, straightforward balls kept catching town out time and time again because it's almost like, oh yeah, teams come at you in this league in a different way. You know, it's it's not always about creating overloads, creating triangles, etc., it's about, no, we want the ball in your half. We want to push. We want to go at them. So I think what he'll have been really disappointed with was just Derby. As good as they are, I mean, I was quite impressed with them as well, to be fair. It was just so simple how they were hurt in town in that first half an hour. And, I mean, 2-0 after that first half an hour didn't flatter them. But then town get the goal back. And as I said, for the next hour... You know, if Kuchunga had scored that goal, the the draw wouldn't. I I think the draw would have been just about right, really, to be honest, because I I didn't think they were too bad. But you don't get that second goal, so it's a two-one loss. And yeah, you Walk, know, walking it, out of the ground with a familiar feeling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I think it would have been. Is, yeah. I think I think it would have been a big big boost if Kuchunga had have scored that goal. You know, first of all, because it's some it's a player in 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 Elias who was actually really really. Uh, important for us in that promotion season and it might have been like oh right you know Kachunga's back in the goals uh, we've fought back from a two goal deficit which we frankly haven't done at any point in the Premier League um, and it, it would have just been again mm. big for mindset it's all about you know mindset Mentality, and the, yeah. the gal farm grown yeah you know it does get referred to a it's lot it's the it draw is, that feels like a win isn't it this is yeah. it yeah this is it and I'm talk. then I'd be talking now about the about the QPR game more optimistically, you know, saying that we've got nothing to fear, etc. Um, just didn't, it just didn't, we just couldn't get that goal. Kachunga knows he should have buried that, to be fair. Um, and I think if you give him another nine chances, he puts that on target, the remaining nine. But, um, but yeah, the, the second half was perhaps a bit frustrating for, for all that we dictated possession. Um, and this again goes back to, to traits of last season. For all that we had the ball, it did feel like a lot of sideways passes and just moving yeah. it from wing to wing through the midfield that, and not actually having any incision. Whereas Derby's movement was pretty smart. You know, they got in behind and to the bylines and they stretched the back four well. And it's just like, we need to see that, especially when we've got two quick, well, by the end, when we had two quick wingers like we did. And then the, sort of the decision to bring Cal and Grant off with five minutes to go for Kwana. Yeah, that got that a lot of groans as well. That baffled me. You bring off your, your most natural goal scorer for the bring, winger. Bringing on Kwana, I thought, was fair enough. But I, I was really surprised to see Grant's number go up. Because you might as well lose 3-1 as, as mm. you know, take off take off a defender or... Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was very odd. I was really, really surprised to see, mm. to see Kwana's but number you, go up. I think the part of the problem is though that, that Derby played that four-two-three-one really, really well. They went two-one up, and that second half they basically played with a five at the back, and either uh, Evans or Huddleston stepping out in front of that five. So you've you've got to break a six down. And if you look without like diving deep into the stats and boring everybody to death, if if you look at sort of where the ball touches were and everything. It was so difficult for Town to break Derby down in that situation on such a losing run, etc. It's that that Kuchunga moment, as you said, feels massive. You know, mm. it feels like a real before and after because 
even if you look at something like Clark and Keogh touched the ball more than any other Derby player on the night and passed the ball more than any Derby player on the night because they were so involved in the game. It it was, as I said, it felt like a sort of good six, six and a half out of ten hour from town where there was a bit of progression, just completely ruined and undercut by like a four out of ten first 30 minutes. Interestingly, um, before they scored their first goal, though, I thought we'd, we'd grown into the game yeah, quite well. Yeah, I was well. about to say. I thought we were on the front foot and we were we were probing. Yeah, but the problem was there were just so many loose passes. There were so many forward passes just going straight to Derby men. And it was... Yeah. I mean, Moy in that first half hour played as badly as I've ever seen him play. Now, don't get me wrong. He grew into the game and I thought he was really good second half. You know, by the end of the game, I thought he was the best player on the pitch. Yeah. But that first 30 minutes, Bakuna, Moy and Hogg all were really poor, you know, really Bakuna, yeah, Bakuna in particular, Bakuna and this is one of my big gripes with town fans at the moment, is that they seem to hugely overrate the sort of young, dynamic players. Um, I think there's far too much expectation on Carl and Grant's shoulders at the moment. You yeah. know, I see I see the words 2025 goal striker. <laughs> yeah. You put next to his name far too much because, quite frankly, outside the 18-yard box, he is dreadful. He, he can't hold up a ball. He looks like his first touch is appalling. Uh, but get him inside that area and give him some... It's something we've heard over the last two or three years. Give him some service and he will put a few in the back of the net. But Bakuna's one who's kind of, you know, fallen victim to the same trap in a way because people saw, for towards the back end of last season especially, a player who looked like he actually gave a crap. You know, he got stuck in and perhaps he was irrational at times and perhaps he was what you would call raw... Um, but they they saw something there that they could kind of get behind, and and I remember him making a, a crunching tackle when he played right back. I can't remember who it was against um, Wolves, I think. Well, yeah, that might, yeah, that's right. And he obviously kicked ball into the stand or whatever, and he turned around to the south stand and sort of gestured with the arms and got the crowd pumped up and everything. And I just remember thinking, all right, this is somebody that you can actually get behind who looks like, in the face of everything that's happened this season, he cares. But again, the problem with that is that you, town fans, as per usual, have taken it too far and they now expect him to be, you know, there's people saying Bakuna's going to be our most important player this season. He's, he's, he's incredible. He's worth 15 million. He's better than Calvin I'll Phillips. hold my hands up. I've said that I wrote a piece saying that he was going to be one of the best midfielders in the championship this season. So I think I'm as guilty as anyone else. He, and he was awful against, uh, against Derby. The thing with Bakuna, though, he, well, one thing is that it's it's the flip side of what Dave was saying earlier, which is in the championship, doing simple things well and playing simple forward balls can be really effective. But Bakuna, and, and he's not the only town player by any means, uh, but he was the worst for it. He was kind of the emblem of it uh, against Derby in the first half, was just trying to do way too much. He was yeah, taking yeah. three touches when he needed to take one, and he was trying to beat players when he could have just played a square ball. And... <sighs> It's good to see a player with that kind of verve, but it was making him make really poor decisions and made him look like a bit of a, a tit, to be honest. Um, the problem, the thing with Bakuna is that he's got those moments of magic in him. So yeah. he's one of those players who, even when he's playing badly, it's kind of worth keeping him on the pitch just to see if he's going to come up with something outrageous and clever that, that no one else would have done. Uh, mm. And I think that's why Siva put him in the number 10 role in the second half. And and I thought, as badly as he played, he was a big loss when he went off injured. 
because he was the one player who you look at on that pitch and you're like, well, he's he's capable of creating something out of nothing. Mm. For the right or wrong reasons, he always it always seems like he's got a big moment in him. Um, it's mad, it's magic or madness with him, really, isn't it? Um, and that's what you that's what you get with a with a player of his age who is asked to play such an important position. Um, and it's going to be interesting, you know, as we sort of touched on, to see whether that changes, whether he is no longer going to occupy the the base of the midfield, and whether he's going to move slightly further forward, where perhaps the mistakes might be. A I think bit he's more going forgiving. to. Yeah, I think I, that's the whole point of getting Chalaber in. I, I think that's almost guaranteed. I think yeah. Guna is the one that, with Moy going, his position definitely changes. Um, yeah. But I, th- I think it's also worth just putting it in the context of the championship. I mean, you quite rightly said how experienced Derby are at this level, and the championship is a league where there's no, <laughs> there's nowhere that's really equivalent. It is a hurly burly bear pit of a league at the best of times where simplicity goes a long way um but also it's that saturday wednesday sunday tuesday saturday thursday grind of games coming one after the other town need to to get a win but they also need to find a system where it's not about energy conservation, but it, it's about not always having to try silly things and getting players running 40 yards onto magic through balls and all that sort of thing. They, mm. They've got to find a way to just win the sort of war of attrition over the season yeah. as well. And it doesn't, at the moment, that's the, the, the one criticism I'd level at, at Jan. I'm much more forgiving than most are. And I, I, you know, I think longer term he could well will be very very good for the club but it's not that horrible cliche of oh you've got to find a plan b or anything like that but he needs to find ways to vary it in game fluidly yeah. so that if you're asking a question and not getting anywhere you can ask another question and try something different you know and it, it's I, this squad and this team at the moment just aren't quite there yet i think it will come but yeah, it's it's the variance, the sort of subtleties, the nuances of just moving a player five yards to one side or the other to just create a bit of space and open it up to someone else. That's just not there at the moment. It's just not happening at all. Yeah, we don't have a plan B. I think that's that's been clear from what we've seen so far, particularly when we're not starting games the way that he would want us to. It's all right setting up in a four-three-three and and playing the way that he that he likes to play, but the. What what I saw in particular against that Derby game, and I think it's part of why he changed it for the second half, was that obviously they played a four two three one, which didn't exactly match up perfectly because you had uh, Lawrence sitting in sitting in the hole basically, and he was finding far too much space. Um, the base of our midfield was kind of roaming around, and then and then Moy kind of got dragged into some positions where he, he shouldn't have been. It just felt like. It feels like with this four-three-three that he wants to play the midfield three and how they work together and how they hunt impacts at the right time. It's so crucial, and as of yet, we're yet to see see him really get it right or or pick the ideal mm. three combination to do so. Um, so he, he might need to go back to the drawing board on that. And that, that he might keeps be it. He, he has told us several times in pre-season that he isn't all about 4-3-3 and he does have other things in his pocket and that he used the two and that the, they played two behind closed doors friendlies uh, against Wolves and Coventry 
and he says the reason they were behind closed doors was because he wanted to try out something different. Um, and I believe they won those games. Well, that I mean, if you need an indicator, then Jan, that's it probably. Um, yeah. It, uh, yeah, he's not going to like go with the two, three, five or anything radical. But I, I think there is a formation in there somewhere that he will definitely consider where Pritchard plays in behind still. Uh, isn't it so maybe be that yeah. four two three one or something like he, that he doesn't work out wide for me no he, no he doesn't work it's not it's not that he's a bad footballer or anything like that but he is just not a player who plays wide of a front three and you can you never at any point feel he's comfortable there no. um so moving him inside is key but it's just it, it's just picking up on simple stuff in game as well like dow's whole job in the derby game was just to to free up space for Lawrence. He wasn't doing anything on the ball. He was just literally just taking a man every time to try and leave a hole for Lawrence. Yeah. And it, again, it's just about reading that and changing things and making those adjustments. And I just, it's just not happening at the moment. But again, if you win two games in a row, suddenly these things start happening. <laughs> You know, suddenly yeah. these these you get the variation, you get the nuance, you get players who are far more comfortable trying things, far more comfortable doing things off their own back. To be fair, without being told, and it it just comes back to the same thing: you've just got to get a win. <laughs> How confident are the two of you that that win will come against QPR on Saturday? <laughs> um, I'll start, shall I? Yeah. Uh, not not very. I'm not very confident. Um. I, I think you know you, it's easy to look at that QPR win against uh, Stoke on on Saturday, which was an impressive one. You know, I I picked Stoke to win that game in Mayaka, so uh, I was a bit let down by that, to be honest. But um, from by all accounts, they were they were impressive uh, in that in that win, and I think that given given the state of everything um, with Town and and going into each game feeling so negative. I'm not even sure that we're going to go there and, and really go for it, to be honest. It might just be a case of trying to get a point on the board um, if we can. I'm, I'm looking at, at QPR's team here, and there's that Eze is, is really good. Ayose, Asoye Samuel, sorry, he's pretty good. Hugo up front's a proven championship scorer. Um, scoring in behind, he's also you know pretty good. Barbet, who apparently town were after at some point you know solid center it's not a bad team basically um and it'll be interesting to see how they get on this season but in answer to the question yeah um long and short of it is i'm, I'm not very confident that we're going to win on saturday i wouldn't be surprised if we were to go and lose three nil i wouldn't be surprised if we were to if we were to nick it by a goal uh and all of a sudden it's a very different different discussion around the club but uh yeah it's one of those where all three results is possible for me yeah, very similar thoughts. But I, again, trying to make a case for optimism, I the first thing I'd say is I think playing away from home suits town. I think, uh, you know, after the game on Monday, I think an away day is probably just a ticket. I think QPR... I was trying to do a bit of sort of analysis in the summer of, of various teams and QPR kept coming up as that team that they could get relegated, they could be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who yeah. knows which way they're going to go. And I think QPR are going to be one of those clubs that, like they did at Stoke away, I think they're going to have good days and they're going to have bad days. And who knows, town could catch them on a bad day. But 
the thing about that QPR side, when you look at it, they've got goals in them. They really have got goals in them, you know, right the way back to the defence. The, the town's first job and first priority is being as difficult to beat as is humanly possible on Saturday. And the problem with that is that doesn't always lend itself to getting the away win, does it? You know, as we know, I, I think there's a, I think there's a chance they could nook, nick something if Jan has talked about wanting to play on the break and there is huge pace in that front three and if they can get on the front foot and be difficult. But I just the problem is I just can't see QPR not scoring. Yeah, and it's then do town can town get two goals, three goals, whatever's required for the win. I I wouldn't be surprised if they got the draw. If if you know, if I put it in me accurate, we're going down as a draw. I think. Cool. I mean, yeah, I I sort of share the sentiment. I think it's very difficult to tell, and and it's the same with the, the championship all the time. It's it depends which team turns up because I think everyone in the championship, um, it's not like the Premier League where teams are more or less what they are from week to week with, with a few exceptions it, there's different versions of teams and it's who turns up on the day whether it's the good version or the bad version and that goes for both teams um, so yeah I think it's important that they get the win that, I, I would be surprised to see them play for a draw but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if they settled for a draw if the game goes if, you know, if it's going that way uh, and there's 15 minutes to go. Whether they might settle for that, I can see that happening. So we'll see. Is there anything else either of you want to talk about? Uh, Brighton and Hove Albion's season ahead. <laughs> I think we'll leave that. Ollie, anything? Um, I'll, I'll use this opportunity as a shameless plug. We've got a little crowdfunder going on at the moment uh, over on the Cowshed Loyal website. Obviously, we had a display for the game against Derby that we thought uh, looked pretty good. You know, it was one of our biggest ones yet. Um, but obviously, when we do displays, it takes a lot of effort, and most importantly, the materials are quite expensive. So, if anyone can, you know, you know, spare even a few quid just to put towards our next one, uh, we have a date in mind for it then then that'd be great because it helps us do what we do and we've also got some new merchandise out so you can check that out the links to everything's on our twitter page um or on facebook so yeah the the only thing i wanted to add is that my views are the views of team talk and the cowshed loyal (laughs) (laughs) excellent fantastic okay well thank you both ollie and ollie fisher and david hartrick for joining me on this week's podcast uh, we'll obviously be back with you next Friday when we'll be talking about, well, we'll have two games to talk about, uh, the both the away game at QPR and the League Cup game against Lincoln City. And we'll also be looking ahead to the games against Fulham and Cardiff. Until then, goodbye. <laughs> Who's to be a Who's to be a